This is Conquering Columbus. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, and this is episode 286 of the show. Today, we're talking with Travis Hedge, co-founder of Vouch Insurance. And during the show, we talk with Travis about his story and Vouch, starting with Travis's background prior to co-founding the company. It's been a couple of years going the corporate route. Told myself I need to learn the things to go actually be a good a good founder someday. And was very fortunate to work with some great people at Nationwide. Helped out the venture arm at Nationwide. You know, they encouraged me to end up uh, kind of throwing my hat in the ring at SVB Capital, which ended up working out and um, ended up doing a lot with the Nationwide team while I was there. And that led to you know helping Root Insurance get their their capital they needed to be a carrier, co-leading the Series B there. Same thing with you know, a company that was called Crosschecks at the time, now Olive. Later, we talk about the problem Travis and his team were trying to solve with Vouch Insurance. First and foremost, redefine the experience for the client. Let's move from PDF and email to moving this entirely online. There's one way to do that in which you're a digital broker. So you just focus purely on distribution and digitize the apps. Well, I'm filling out our application for our first insurance policy and they're asking questions like, what year was your roof replaced? And you know, are there fire sprinklers, blah, blah, blah. Like, we are three people with laptops. And the challenge with just innovating at the distribution layer is that you don't have control over any of those things. And so we already had the kind of vision and instincts that we would go full stack but those, some of those early experiences just cemented that for me. And so what I, what that means, to answer your question about the value chain and how we do things differently, it's we really own as much of the value chain as humanly possible. And we wrap up with some advice from Travis for aspiring entrepreneurs out there. So our whole approach is go partner with the people that are at those milestone moments, either the ones directly requiring coverage or that have a lot of influence around that moment, and then just embed ourselves and eliminate as much friction as possible. We don't do any outbound prospecting, cold calling, et cetera today. It's all about inserting ourselves at those moment of needs and at that moment of need and then having the expertise and product experience to make it as simple as possible for folks. I'm not one to like prescribe lessons to people, but there are two things I believe very passionately in. One is when I'm talking to younger folks early in their career, I don't care what you're doing. It can be insurance, pharma, it doesn't matter. It's surround yourself with the smartest people you know and just go work hard and learn a lot. This is a little cliche, but like I really culture each strategy for lunch all day. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, and uh, it's just me and Josh in the booth today. Josh, what's going on? Not too much, man. Just uh, enjoying my Tuesday. Yeah, and enjoying not having to do that awkward pause of who's going to talk first at the beginning of the episode with Tim. Yeah, Tim ruins so many things in this podcast. <laughs> well, Most yeah. things ruin. Well, no, you ruin the other majority of them. Yeah. Just the intro. Thanks. I appreciate that. We'll, uh, cut, we'll cut it so Tim doesn't hear that. Right. Well, today on the show, our guest is uh, Travis Hedge, and Travis is the co-founder at Vouch Insurance. Vouch is a business insurance platform for startups built by founders for founders. Vouch's fully digital coverage takes minutes to activate with everything from application to claims designed for the unique needs of high-growth companies. And because Vouch does all of the underwriting, not just brokering out to legacy carriers, they actively work with their members to manage, mitigate, and avoid risks. Vouch is backed with $70 million in venture capital from Y Combinator, Silicon Valley Bank, Ribbit Capital, Index Ventures, and other leading investors. So we're excited to talk with Travis today about everything Vouch has going on, what he's doing, and uh, the future at Vouch. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Travis. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to join us. And uh, typically kind of the first place we like to start is uh, just get a little bit of background on yourself and your life up to today, kind of how you got to Vouch and, and really the major milestones along the way. Yeah, I don't think I've ever mentioned this in an intro, but I was born at Riverside Hospital here in Columbus. Uh, now, my parents you know, had a small business here, and I think that in a lot of ways was where the the, the story started for me. Um, you know, the dinner table was kind of the boardroom, that kind of thing. And I wore a sweater vest at career day growing up, saying I wanted to be a broker like my dad. And 
took a winding path to get there, spent some time in politics. My first startup was a bipartisan political platform uh, when I was a senior in high school, freshman at Ohio State. And, um, you know, you can imagine how that worked out. Not hmm. uh, not great, but <laughs> spent a couple of years kind of licking my wounds, going the corporate route. You know, told myself I, I need to learn the things to go actually be a good a good founder someday. And was very fortunate to work with some great people at Nationwide, help it out the venture arm at Nationwide, and you know they encouraged me to to end up uh, kind of throwing my hat in the ring at SVB Capital, which ended up working out and um, ended up doing a lot with the Nationwide team while I was there. And that led to you know helping Root Insurance get their their capital they needed to be a carrier, co leading the Series B there. Uh, same thing with, you know, a company that was called Crosschecks at the time, now Olive. And so I remember when I first moved out to, to San Francisco, I showed my ID to a, to a bouncer there and they looked at it and they go, Columbus, is that a, is that a suburb of Toledo? And I was just, oh, man, come on. Um, <laughs> so I think throughout my time out there, I was, I've always been kind of the, the annoying Ohio guy who won't shut up about home. So, mm-hmm. you know, I actually think a lot in a lot of ways that experience of having a foot in both worlds was a big part of, gave me a lot of opportunity and, you know, excited to, to get into kind of how Columbus played such an important role in, in my journey so far. So before we get to that, I got to go back, I got to go back to the bipartisan platform. <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine the types of conversations. So was it like a forum? Was like what was the idea behind it? Yeah, maybe we should get a bottle of bottle of whiskey going here. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, I was very take it back to the fact that my parents always took every chance they could to remind me how lucky I was to have any opportunity in life. Neither of them graduated from college. You know, we really viewed like small business entrepreneurship as something I was weirdly passionate about. And channeled that in a lot of ways through politics. So ended up interning for Pat Tiberi at the time when I was in high school, when he was the congressman here. That led to an opportunity to be the first intern on Governor Kasich's campaign, this whole Recharge Ohio thing he was doing at the time. And his team asked me to start like a youth coalition. And that, you know, I, I came back to them a couple of weeks later and said, hey, you know, what if we did something a little bit bigger with this and created a platform to really gamify politics for young people on both sides of the aisle at the time? You know, John was kind of a centrist and and I think, um, you know, he he his inner team kind of you know rallied around that. So the whole idea was, look, you know, whether you support, you know, I don't care if it's social issues, economic issues, whatever is important to you, there's candidates that align with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go knock doors, make phone calls, you get rewarded through it with points. And, you know, maybe the, the leading point letter at the end of the month gets to have lunch with their favorite candidate, something along those lines. Got it. It was interesting, though, once I started talking to the, you know, the quote unquote money people, it was very clear that uh, they only wanted me to support one party. Right. And, you know, I'd I had gotten pretty disillusioned with politics at that point. And I'd, I'd seen kind of like if you really want to make an impact in the world, the best way to do it is go build a business. And so actually at the end of that journey, pivoted it towards a platform to support young entrepreneurs, which comes full circle because my youngest brother ended up actually starting that company a decade later. Uh, hmm. And that was an important catalyst for his career. But it's another story. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. SVP Capital was a jump that you made after Nationwide. Did I get the name right? Yeah, it's uh, Silicon Valley Bank Capital. So when I was at Nationwide, you know, we hadn't done venture in over 10 years. And once we got the sign off from the CIO to, to start getting into venture again, it was actually the first investment we made. And so uh, I was, uh, he's he retired from Nationwide several years ago. So I, I think I can, you know, really tell this story now. But 
my boss at the time was this guy, David Verbance. And, uh, you know, he took a chance on me when I remember I was in the rotational program at Nationwide going around pitching every exec there. Why we should do a venture arm, blah, blah, blah. Nobody really listened to me except for David. And he, uh, you know, he's like, I've been looking for somebody like you to do this with. Let's go. And so the first investment we made was into SVB Capital's uh, direct investment fund. So, you know, leading typically Series B investments. And we're walking out of that room and, and uh, you know, we did our diligence out in, uh, on Sand Hill Road and we're walking out and David's like, hey, I noticed, you know, they got an opening on their team. I know that's what you want to do. Why don't you, why don't you throw your hat in the ring? And uh, I did and it ended up working out. And, you know, to have someone really believe in me like that, I, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't think I'd be sitting here today. So uh, those mentors go a long way. So you jump on that team and what are your, what's your early focus? Because it sounds like that was a really strong springboard to what, has come to fruition today with all the investments that you were leading. What was the day-to-day like and, and where did you develop your skill set with them? My, my first six months, I remember they had to sit me down and tell me, your job is not to source deals. Your job is to work these spreadsheets and put these decks together. And I said, but like I can do what I want in my personal time, right? Uh, yeah. So um, that was, so first, you know, a lot of ways my job was really a true analyst. Um but at the same time, I was hanging out with a fellow uh, Buckeye that I'd gone to college with, a guy named Andy Sparks, who was out in the Bay Area. And um, he and I met up with, for drinks with a guy named Sean Lane, who was out in the Bay Area raising for the Crosscheck Series B at the time. And I brought that, you know, brought him in to see the partners, et cetera. Uh, I think Keith Raboy, when he was at Coastal, ended up leading that round. But then the Series C came around and um, Sean and I went to dinner. We hashed it out and ended up Working out a working out a deal and SAB Capital ended up leading the, the Series C there. That was the first investment I had led, and it was pretty explicitly came from coloring outside the lines a little bit and going beyond the the scope of my role. You know, the more the more I did that, the more rope they gave me to go do more things like that. And eventually, by the end of my time there, I was responsible for fundraising in in Europe and Israel. So working with our our investors there as well as insurance companies, about 30% of our LPs were, were insurance companies. And then the other half of my time was spent investing into fintech, digital health, and, and frontier tech companies. And so it was about, it was around the time we were doing cross-checks that I uh, I thought, you know, that insurance thing I'd spent my whole life around was pretty broken. Uh, maybe I should go spend some more time there again. And called up the smartest person I'd worked with at Nationwide, which was a guy named Alex Tim. And, you know, he says, hey, I actually just left Nationwide last week. Drive Capital gave me a few million bucks to go start this new company. And he and I would talk every couple months and eventually it came time to, hey, we, we want to be an insurance carrier. None of the big banks will give us the capital we need. You know, it's called a surplus note to go be a carrier. Would SVB do something like this? And I said, look, this isn't my side of the house, but I think I know how to get get you in the room with the right folks. And so actually like created this whole thing we called the ins- the quarterly like insure tech dinner hmm. where we brought together founders, investors and strategics uh, in the insurance category. And I invited the chief credit officer to to our first one and had him sit next to Alex. And by the end of the dinner, we're busting out a whiteboard talking about, you know, how we could how we could do this. And that ended up being the first, you know, insure tech deal that SVB did that led to. Well, I got to tell you, it's a quick side story on this. So I you know, was trying to tee it up for SVB Capital to, to, you know, lead their next round. And my partners go, Travis, we're, we're not doing another Ohio deal, man. Like, come on. And like, OK, well, what if I got ribbit or sequoia or one of the the you know top tier investors to do this and they're like yeah sure maybe so i introduced alex to you know all the top investors in the valley and a few months later he's like hey i think it's time for that series b and i go great who's your favorite one uh nick from ribbit awesome let's make it happen so nick and i flew out to columbus Mm -hmm. 
happened to be a Blue Jackets game that night. So, uh, and Nick was a, a Penguins fan. So it was Penguins versus Jackets. We went and kind of negotiated the deal at, at Nationwide Arena. Um, and that's how we ended up, you know, co-leading the series be there. That's awesome. Great story. And, you know, it, goes, it just goes to show you that making like your story and what sticks out to me about the way you've kind of gone about this is you've always just gone about making connections for people. And it seems like not expecting anything in return based on the way you're telling the story. And ultimately that always leads to good things. Making the right connections for the right people will pay back dividends over time, even when you're not expecting anything. I think I was talking to somebody on my team about this last week about trying to bring a new idea to life. And my thing is I'll just keep putting that energy out there and good things will happen. You know, some people are like afraid to talk about their ideas or whatever. And I, my philosophy is like, it just keep putting the energy that you want out there in the world. And you know, sometimes that'll work out to your point. I'm talking about the two biggest success stories. There's another dozen, you know, relationships along the way that didn't, you know, have that massive success, but I'm still, you know, close with it to this day. And um, I feel really, really fortunate to have been in that position. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So let's talk a little bit about Vouch at this point, kind of transition towards talking about the founding of Vouch. I'm guessing you probably met your co-founders throughout all of this process. Yeah. So my co-founder, Sam, funny enough, he and I didn't remember this at the time, but 2015-ish, I had the C-suite from Nationwide come out to the Valley, did the whole innovation roadshow thing. And Sam, he was the co-founder of a company called Funding Circle. And he was one of the like founders we had come talk to the board and like have that whole conversation. A couple years later, I'd been talking to the Ribbit Capital folks about this idea. Uh, basically, in 2016, went to the partners at SVB and said, hey, I told you guys I wanted to go start a company someday. I think this is it. I basically want to take what Root is doing in personal lines and do it in commercial lines and start a full stack carrier focused on the innovation economy. They said, hey, that's great, but like, why don't you stay here and maybe like find that company to invest in? Or you know, we, we want to come back and, and write the job description that would keep you here for a while. So I tried that for a couple of years and every root board meeting kept talking to Ribbit about, hey, have you guys seen this yet? I think we might just need to build it ourselves. So late 2017, early 2018 rolls around and time had come. We all agreed like we've, we're going to have to build this ourselves. And so they kind of went about playing matchmaker and introduced me to Sam. And we did the uh, the co-founder dating thing, you know, went mm-hmm. to coffee every week, whiteboarded a few things out. And it was May 2018 where I remember we, we got coffee at blue bottle and fight eye and shook hands and agreed yeah let's do this gosh i don't know it's been a whirlwind ever since so talk about the traditional value chain of getting this done for a startup business versus what your guys's idea was and how that's even evolved but I maybe mean, we can just start with with what was being done and what vision that you and sam saw to bring to life and change things yeah so there were three things i mean look i, I started with oh 2016 i want to do you know root for commercial but there are actually three things that that inspired this for me one was that having been part of Open door route. These other companies were taking a vertically integrated approach to financial services, so I knew like there was a big opportunity there. But I also had some personal experience with you know my family's small business had experienced a cyber threat back in a few years ago, and fortunately came through that you know on the other side. But there were there was months there where that was that was in question, and it got me really thinking about you know how does a small business, whether it be a tech company or an SMB, face the same threats as a global Fortune 500, but with a fraction of the resources. And insurance is one part of that equation, but in the same way that uh, Root or others might embed with, you know, IoT devices, your phone, et cetera, the modern business is using digital tooling throughout their stack. So whether it be your accounting software, your cap table software, your banking, 
we can integrate with those tools and and frankly not just redefine the insurance experience but redefine the insurance products themselves and so you know and then the third leg of that was i had some founder friends share with me their current experiences in buying insurance and it was all hey this is a modern tech company and yet it's all still done over pdf and email you know as as, as we took a step back at starting vouch said okay well how do we tackle these challenges right we know we want from our experience we know we need to first and foremost, redefine the experience for the client. So let's move from PDF and email to moving this entirely online. Well, there's one way to do that in which you're a digital broker. So you just focus purely on distribution and digitize the apps. Well, I remember we were sitting in a WeWork. Uh, there were just myself, Sam, and our first hire, Carrie, who actually met at the Buckeye Bar in San Francisco, and she's also from Ohio. Um, so we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm filling out our application for our first insurance policy, and they're asking questions like, uh, what year was your roof replaced? And, you know, are there fire sprinklers, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we are three people with laptops. And the challenge with just innovating at the distribution layer is that you don't have control over any of those things. And so we already had the kind of vision and instincts that we would go full stack. But though some of those early experiences just cemented that for me. And so what I what that means, to answer your question about the value chain and how we do things differently, it's we really own as much of the value chain as humanly possible. Now, when we first started the business, I thought, yeah, I want to be a carrier out of the gate. However, you know, we're right. Commercial lines insurance policies where you have to have a rated paper for the counterparties you're doing business with California, New York, where our two biggest markets where, you know, venture backed about 70% of the venture backed market also have the most stringent regulatory requirements for becoming a carrier. And so, you know, we ran the numbers like, look, we're going to have to raise 75 million out of the gate to even have a conversation about doing this versus it's about 5 million in personal lines. And so, we went to market as what's called a, an MGA. We worked with Munich Re, largest reinsurer. They had a special units work with companies like us. And that got us off the ground and in market. Last month, we actually just launched the Vouch Insurance Company. So we now carry uh, at least 30% of that risk on every policy we write ourselves. And that really means we have end-to-end control. So everything from the application to the underwriting process to claims, uh, we do in-house. And that, that means a couple things. One, the whole process takes less than 10 minutes. It's active same day. But the coverage itself is also really uniquely designed to the, you know, the needs of a fast growing venture backed technology company. It's not just something that was adapted from Main Street to work for their needs. So we take a very different approach to that. And lastly, it is the claims component where, you know, I've talked to startups that will work with, you know, a, a random Main Street lawyer, maybe divorce attorney or something like that for their for a claim that is life or death for their business. And so actually bringing in the right specialized talent there goes a long way. So, you know, that's primarily what's different about us is that we take that full stack approach. And I think one one thing that, you know, as we were doing the intros here, I think we just announced between that the language we shared with you guys and and more recently announced that another round of funding that really enabled us to launch that carrier and, and really, you know, fuel that vision going forward. Hey, everybody, Mike here, and we're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Smart House. Smart House helps keep your home safe, and their team offers white glove custom home automation and security solutions. They can install things like security cameras, alarm systems, video doorbells, smart locks, thermostats, and smart garage doors, all of which can be controlled from a single app. They even do things like whole house home audio and theater systems, and Josh has used Smart House himself, so we definitely recommend you check them out. You can save 50% or more on no-contract professional alarm monitoring, and to top it all off, they're a local business. So if you want to learn more about them, check out smarthouseohio.com. That's smarthouseohio.com, and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, let's get back to the show. 
So when you first started and you guys weren't doing underwriting at all on your own and you weren't even carrying that 30% of the risk, were you just able to convince those? And you mentioned the insurance company. I, I forget the name and I apologize for that. But yeah. uh, were you able to convince them to do things in a more innovative way and support the front end that you wanted? Yeah, it was really interesting. Every other company they'd worked with, every other insure tech company they'd worked with, they wrote the policies, they wrote the underwriting guidelines. One of the reasons that I knew I needed someone like Sam is that we needed a super credible and experienced leadership team to go convince reinsurers and regulators we knew what we were doing. In the early days, I was the quote unquote insurance guy because I had spent some time at Nationwide. I remember we're I'm reading through filings, picking it apart. But then we hired John Wallace, our chief insurance officer, 20 plus years of experience, had built billion dollar plus programs before. And I realized, oh, that's that's what world class looks like. Same thing with Kelly Wolf, our GC, and a bunch of those early hires. So we were able to go to the reinsurers and say, I know this is how you do it with, every, with everybody else, but we've already written our policies. We've already written our underwriting guidelines. And just showing up with that credibility gave us a lot more leverage to actually. So we were very different from every other MGA they worked with and that we actually did do all that ourselves out of the gate. It's just that anytime we wanted to make a change, we had to go back to the mothership, get their buy in. And so it took us two full years to go from our V1 policies to our V2. Well, now with having our own carrier, having our own policy admin system, building that infrastructure ourselves, we can now make those changes very rapidly, you know, in the order of weeks instead of months and years. What about the go-to market model? So I'm not as uh, read up, I suppose you could say, on insurance sales and going through the process of like the, so what is the go-to market model? What channels are you guys using to take your product and get it in the hands of the right people? Yeah, in a lot of ways, we think of this as as um, one of our key assets. So 90 plus percent of commercial insurance is distributed through brokers today. Mm-hmm. We distribute it all directly. As a matter of fact, we're the only ones that really do, you know, the kind of complex professional liability lines, uh, you know, on an entirely direct basis. So it starts with, you know, why are companies buying this coverage in the first place? It's not like auto insurance where it's required just to get in the car. But what we do find is that at company formation, repeat or experienced founders, two thirds of the time are getting this coverage at that company formation moment because they know they're going to need it. Zero percent of first-time founders do. So at that company formation moment, we embed with the clerkies, Stripe Atlases, et cetera, of the world uh, and try to be a part of that workflow. But then we also go to Y Combinator, OnDeck, all these other communities to try to educate founders on why this stuff is important and frankly, get the other first lines of defense out of the way so that insurance might not even, you know, hopefully you don't you don't need it when it matters most because you're, you've done the right things early in the business. However, the reason that 0% of first-time founders get that in place is that they often end up getting, it's required by them as, as they grow. So whether it be that Series A investor that's joining the board and requiring directors and officers insurance, or your first landlord that's requiring general liability, or your first Fortune 500 customer that's requiring cyber and E&O, it's a trigger, kind of milestone-driven need. So our whole approach is go partner with the people that are at those milestone moments, either the ones directly requiring coverage or that have a lot of influence around that moment, and then just embed ourselves and eliminate as much friction as possible. And so we don't do any outbound prospecting, cold calling, et cetera, today. It's all about inserting ourselves at those moment of needs and at that moment of need, and then having the you know expertise and product experience to make it as simple as possible for folks. So a couple examples of that with Silicon Valley Bank, you know, we embed across their entire platform. We recently launched a partnership with WeWork where they require insurance of every you know tenant in their space, and mm-hmm. we've built the software to verify those insurance requirements and you know be the be the partner to fulfill those needs when when they're not met. And then we're doing the same thing with you know Fortune 500s like Procter and Gamble and others. And so you know it's a very partnership driven strategy. And the good news is you know we really have exclusive relationships in most of those channels. And so at this point, it's really how do we continue to 
over deliver for our clients and, you know, create lock in there because uh, we do view it as a, you know, a, a strategic moat going forward. And talk about present day, like you mentioned the additional raise, so total capital raised employees, where are you guys stationed at? Like, I, I know that you're kind of all over the place, but uh, is there a central home location for the team or is everything remote? Yeah. So uh, from a location perspective, you know, we were based out of San Francisco to begin with, but we knew we wanted to be uh, at least have two HQs out of the gate. And so you know, one thing that Sam and I talked about is he felt like he waited a little bit too long to do that in his last business and we wanted to bake it into the DNA of the company. And so we actually did this whole search process, Columbus, Chicago, Denver, I think Madison was on the list and looked at everything from like talent migration patterns, how many direct flights, real estate. But the deciding factor was not just, hey, what kind of you know engineering talent can we get? What kind of insurance talent can we get? First of all, Columbus got dinged a little bit because I would have been basically hiring all of Root and Olive's employees and I, you know, kind of wanted to keep those friendships. So, hmm. uh, but also, you know, Columbus has a lot of personal lines insurance talent, not nearly as much commercial lines insurance talent. Five of the top 10 commercial lines carriers are based in Chicago. So frankly, as soon as I saw that statistic, it was kind of game over. Chicago was a no brainer in terms of where we needed to be. And so we did that. You know, I think when when the pandemic started, we were a little over 30 people, call it 50-50 between SF and Chicago. Uh, we're now 125 people today and we've opened up what we call our third HQ, which is remote. And mm-hmm. so, you know, about a third of the company is remote, uh, you know, little, little pods kind of clustering in New York or Portland and, and Denver. Um, uh, and then a little over half the company's in Chicago and the rest are, are in San Francisco. So talk a little bit more about the strategic decision behind Chicago. So just because the other commercial lines were there, like what, what value did you see in your opinion and your founder's opinion that would add to being within their vicinity? Yeah. So, and that, that's worked out very well, right? We've been able to hire people from Chubb, CNA, all the kind of major commercial lines carriers there. So that's, that, that has worked out for us. As a matter of fact, when Chubb required their people to go back in the office five days a week, we were just requiring three days a week for those roles. And we ended up hiring some amazing people uh, just for that flexibility. But one of the other things we saw there is, I mean, you know, you look at the average tenure of, a, of an employee at a given company in literally any other market besides San Francisco. And it's, goes from, I think, you know, 1.6 years to like four to five years on average. Obviously, cost is a consideration, but, you know, this goes back to my time at SVB Capital. I I fundamentally have always believed that there's an arbitrage there that the rest of the world's not seeing as it relates to amazing talent being everywhere. And what it, what it really comes down to, in my mind, is this, this concept of network centricity. So how close are you to other world-class talent that has lived this experience before. Because there is something very unique about scaling a business, not just from zero to one, but through 2x, 3x, year-over-year growth over a multi-year period. And there's historically been a concentration of that talent in the Bay Area, but you know you now have that in markets like Chicago, which I think you know minted like six, seven, eight billion dollar plus companies last year. You now have that in Columbus, et cetera, but also, you know, I don't think you're constrained by geography, right? You listen, you know, whether it be podcasts, Slack channels, you name it, that knowledge is now being distributed on a more global basis. And so at the time, it felt like a unique worldview that, hey, we're going to go to Chicago and pick up all this great talent from Braintree and other places and these insurance companies. Obviously, now that's, I think, pretty, pretty commonplace. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I didn't really think about the talent angle. So I was trying to understand more about your thought process behind it. But even the ecosystem that you talk about, like, it's not the exact same, but Mike and I spent time together as teammates on an athletic program was like probably known for being one of the best in the world for that stage. And you would watch people walk into that environment 
and multiply tenfold. Like part of that is because that whole like iron sharpens iron montage, not necessarily directly what you're saying, but there is a mindset and a sense of, uh, I don't want to say accountability, but like a sense of achievement that you hold yourself to when you're around people who have already achieved, you know, world-class. You know, it goes back to that whole phrase, like surround yourself with people you want to be like, right? You see these ecosystems form in cities like Columbus. You mentioned personalized insurance carrying, right? In Columbus or uh, San Diego has a pretty big biotech. Yep. Uh, ecosystem going. And, and you see, because these people, I think when you're passionate about something, you want to be around other people that are passionate about it. So I think it's just a natural draw of these ecosystems forming because if like, for instance, you know, I always tell people if there's anything I've learned from the podcast, it's that if you want to get good at something, go find somebody who's really good at that thing and just stick right to them <laughs> at the hip. Yeah. Right. And so these people get attracted to these locations because there's other people that are really good at what they want to be good at. Yeah. You know, I'm not one to like prescribe lessons to people, but there are two things I believe very passionately in. One is when I'm talking to younger folks early in their career, I don't care what you're doing. It can be insurance, pharma, it doesn't matter. It's surround yourself with the smartest people, you know, and, you know, just go work hard and learn a lot because you are who you surround yourself with. Your point. The second thing, this is a little cliche, but like I really culture eat strategy for lunch all day. And there's a reason why walking out of that blue bottle in FIDI that the first thing Sam and I talked about was not our strategy or any of those things. It was, what are our core values going to be? And we spent hours mapping that out before we did a single other thing in the business. And I think that was one of the best things we ever did. From your perspective, if we go back to that whole ecosystem and sense of surrounding yourself by elite people who want to achieve a lot, your experience from a place like San Francisco or Chicago versus Columbus. And before I I let you answer, I I never spent time in, in long periods of time in San Francisco or Chicago, so I have no idea what that ecosystem feels like. But I do feel like there's a turning point in Columbus, especially even more so over the last few years, where you have more elite, world-class level thinking and performing individuals. So how has that been from someone who's experienced it firsthand? I personally don't feel any sort of drop-off between the cities. Um, I actually had a, f- a friend challenge me on this recently. They were like, well, if you move back to Columbus, are you going to miss your, you know, intellectually stimulating conversations? Well, I'm like, <laughs> no. Now, maybe it's just I'm fortunate to know a lot of great people here, but I, I would, you know, take my circle of friends here up against any. Now, I think w- one of the differences I noted, I noticed five, six years ago was this kind of parochial mindset. What I mean by that is I remember having a conversation with somebody here locally that was proud of the fact that they had blocked uh, I think it was 1776, an accelerator out of DC from coming to town because the mindset was, oh no, we're going to do it here locally. And I can understand that, right? I'm, I'm as proud of Columbus and Ohio as anybody. But I think what turned the corner was companies like Root and Olive and Drive Capital and others embracing the global nature of the economy we live in and not being too prideful to say, oh yeah, that world-class talent actually sits in San Francisco, Seattle, London, who cares? I'm either going to go convince them to work for us remotely or you know what? I'm going to fly them to Columbus and show them what this place is about and get them to move here. And that I think is where you really started to see this whole thing take off. Absolutely. I think that, you know, as Columbus continues to grow, like wherever the talent comes from, wherever the money comes from, I don't think that matters as long as we get it to flow here. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that's a, uh, I agree there. The Midwest kind of has that mindset at times uh, overall, like we're going to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and do it ourselves type mindset. But I think we're getting better and I think we're improving. 
Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus, and we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. You know, I kind of want to pivot back to Vouch and, and the future for Vouch. So what are some of the current initiatives you're working on now? What do you see as like the three, five-year plan if you're looking out that far? Yeah, so we initially set out to first figure out, do we even have product market fit here? You know, will people will people buy this thing? And so spent the first you know few months, year of the business, you know, nailing our go-to-market strategy, et cetera, and really getting our national footprint in place. So we're now in 27 states. It's about 95% of U.S. venture activity. And so I think we're really coming through phase one of the business and into phase two, which is, you know, we I think we did a, a really good job of positioning seed and series A, venture backed technology companies, you know, highest NPS in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. But now, you know, our first, this is incredible luck, but our literally first client is a company called Taxbit, which we met when they had like just launched, et cetera. They've now gone on to raise several hundred million from the Tiger Globals of the world, et cetera. I say that because our biggest challenge today is actually to keep up with our fastest growing clients. And so, you know, we got a couple dozen clients like that that kind of fit that profile now. And with the launch of our carrier and all the new policies we launched over the summer, we can now truly scale with companies through IPO. We now serve life sciences. And so now that we've got those capabilities where I'm spending my a lot of my time right now is building out the team, the sales motion actually feels a little bit like our zero to one days a couple of years ago where, you know, we're solving for something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really exciting for me right now. But great proof points there. Really excited about, I think, you know, six, 12 months looking back and, and feeling like we, you know, knock on wood that we really nailed that so that we can go do the next thing, which is, I think I would put in two categories. One is because of, of our distribution pipes into these channels we talked about. Um, there's, you know, I think a lot of room for us to not only increase conversion, but also increase throughput from the perspective of additional products. So, you know, going back a quick second to, I talked about the digital integrations before, right? Well, there's this heuristic in, in commercial insurance that roughly 30% of business risk is insurable. Well, you know, we thought the taxi size was a certain market before Uber and Lyft came along. Well, if we can integrate with your cap table, your banking software, et cetera, and identify new ways to cover that risk, right? And really bring down, let's say we expand the TAM to 35, 40% and create entirely new kinds of insurance products along the way. Those are the kind of things that we're really starting to work on and get excited about. But, you know, we'll launch things like crypto, cyborgs, space, you name it. So that's a big part of the opportunity I'm excited about. The second is, um, you know, continued geographic expansion. Innovation's everywhere. And we intend to be a global company. And so, you know, if we do those things, which to be clear, there's a lot, a lot of work ahead of us, a lot of execution to be done there. You know, our aspiration is to be the leading insurance carrier for innovative companies globally. That's a hundred billion dollar plus category. That's the fastest growing segment in insurance. And, you know, we're following in the footsteps of Stripe, Carta, Silicon Valley Bank, et cetera, that have taken these fragmented spaces. Today, the leading commercial insurer is Chubb and they have about 10% market share. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the companies I decided have 30, 40, 50, 60% market share. And so our aspiration is to be, you know, the dominant player globally. And that's a 20, 30% share business and 
today we're sitting about 5% of our core market here domestically. So we got a ways to go. Well, you guys are trying to be what our CEO calls the 800 pound gorilla in the room. That's right. So that's a good goal. And I think, you know, it's clear you have a good vision for it and a clear idea of where you're heading. I've got one last question, but Josh, I want to make sure you got any questions left before we uh, start heading towards the, the finish here. No, I got no questions. I think, you know, your vision and you can tell that you guys have spent a lot of time on the values and the way that you talk about, like I was curious in my head to think whether growth to you meant expanding to additional segments of the market rather than just expanding and continuing to service the core market that you guys started with and wanting to service in a better way and helping them further along within their business, which it sounds like exactly what you guys are doing while continuing to focus on landing more geographical reach. So it's exciting. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see you guys really focus on servicing uh, the people that, that you started with from the beginning and figure out how can you do it even better. Well, I think to give our, uh, our listeners some insight, the way that we ran into you is you and Josh working out of the same WeWork building, right? Am I misremembering that? Yeah. So every once in a while, you're there, what, like 50% of the, of the Very week? Very sporadically. Say? Actually, so I just bought a house in Columbus. So nice. we're spending a little bit more time here, uh, putting it on Airbnb when I'm not in town kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, I personally would love to, to find myself back here over the next few years. And yeah, that WeWork is my uh, my landing spot whenever I'm in town. Helps that we just partnered with them, but uh, it's always fun to run into other founders and whatnot there. Yeah, it's funny. You never know who you're going to run into at a WeWork. But uh, so, Travis, our last question of the show, it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase for a uh, show about founders, entrepreneurs, and business owners, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? So it's funny. I was listening to one of your episodes earlier, and uh, this question really stood out to me because it is for me, just probably one of the core principles by which I live my life. And there was one specific moment that I flashed back to. And I remember I was probably 20, 21, and I was reading this Malcolm Gladwell book. I couldn't even, I forget, you know, one of his, one of his books. And there was this um, piece in there about the U.S. prison population and American presidents and British prime ministers. And the whole anecdote was that the same percent, I think it was like 30 or 40% of both populations had a parent that died before the age of 11. Now, the reason that resonated with me is I have two younger brothers. Uh, one's four years younger, the other's 10 years younger. And, you know, at the time we were going through a lot of adversity in, in kind of our family life. And um, I saw that that paragraph, took a picture of it, sent it to my brothers. And I said, hey, guys, you know, th- this this experience is going to make us or break us. And it's up to us. And I, I think that's a you know, that was that was over a decade ago. But it's something that stuck with me the entire time where you're never staying the same. You're either growing or or you're you're not. You're you're mm-hmm. sliding backwards. And um I think ever since I've looked at you know, I think sure do I put myself in challenging positions intentionally to some degree, yeah. But more than anything, you never know when that next punch is going to roll in or or when adversity is going to strike and you can either choose to run into the fire and embrace that opportunity or not. You don't stay the same. So, uh that's yeah, that uh that memory's seared pretty deeply in my brain. Travis, thanks so much. It's a great answer. Thanks so much for coming on to tell your story and talk about Vouch. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. No, really, really appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. If you did, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. You will get interviews just like this one every week. Appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Next week.